So we spoke about hot beverages, cold. we spoke about cold beverages. Give guidance for the traveler in regards to, let's say, baked items. It has ashkocha, might be paspalter. So baked item is another one of the things that people are very uh, perplexed with because we all, we all know, Chazal tell us, that, uh, that even though there is a gzera of having pasisrael, you have to have bread that has Jewish involvement in the baking, um, there are situations, circumstances, again, different ways in Psaq Allah and Minhagim in different communities on when paspalter is acceptable. So they think, oh, there's a heter of paspalter, so I can just eat bread anywhere. No, that doesn't work. That works as long as, again, like we said before, you know what the ingredients are and you know that the equipment is not going to be compromised. Sometimes things can be made in trafe equipment and it will still be kosher, bidiyavid at least, sometimes not. Without knowing those details, which involve both halachic knowledge and technical practical knowledge, you cannot assume that a food that is processed is going to be kosher. So bread in any country is not kosher unless you know that the ingredients and the system is fine. Most places in the world, the answer is no. In some countries, we know as a fact that they use lard, they use uh, highly sensitive kosher ingredients beyond the plain flour, water, sugar, yeast, whatever, they're in bread. Now let's say someone goes to the refrigerator and they want to buy a closed bottle. So we're talking about Coca-Cola or they want to buy beer, they want to buy whiskey, something like that. So we're not talking about an open item. What, what guidelines could you give them? The, sa- the same rule applies. You have to be able to be confident to know what the item is. So there are countries like Scotland that have relatively tight laws on and, and just customs, the way they make uh, whiskey. We know what those things are. We know that those things don't pose serious casters concerns. There's a question of sherry cask, which is well known. We're not going to get into that whole topic. Um, but as long if you remove that issue and you see that there's no real reason to be concerned for sherry cask, then Scotch whiskey has a certain cheskas kashras. Beer, on the other hand, which is something that was well known, it's listed in Shulchan Aruch. We know that beer was always kosher. Today, in in uh, the 21st century, it's become a lot more complicated than that. Every beer company is playing around with different ingredients. They're all making craft beers. Uh, almost every there are some purists out there that they stick to the straight good old four uh, beer ingredients originally three they added in yeast around 100 uh, 100 years ago when they started making industrialized yeast um, but uh, when you say craft beer for the layman what do you mean craft you beer mean? is any beer that's not uh, large mass produced normal beer companies if you're People talking about the beers in their house no, or that's already considered microbrewery that's oh, okay. already that's already without a question a problem okay but when you're talking about craft brewers, you're talking about things that are, might be quite large, they're regional, people recognize brands, uh, but they're, they're, they're crafty. They're not beholden to any real standard. We don't have to just do these three things. Mm-hmm. We can do whatever we want. We can so add something, to add flavorings. Even large beer companies sometimes are adding flavorings when they should, they shouldn't, different topic, but it's not as pure as it used to be. So again, I'm not saying that all beer is not kosher. The general guidelines that most cautious agencies advise on is that if it's a reputable, normal, large beer company and it's a plain beer that has no, no obvious flavoring, no obvious problems, then it ha- still does have a cheskas kashras. But as time progresses, we see that that is not necessarily going to stay the same. So and would, stay, that, be, would stay, that be only in the United States or would that be internationally? Inter- internationally. Well? Inter- there are places in the world that obviously have a bigger problem than others. Germany, Belgium are beer purist countries. That's the origin of pure beer. 
um, I forgot the exact term, Reagan something, uh, I forgot exactly what the word is in German, that for, for the uh, Bavarian beer purity laws. Mm-hmm. Um, th- so our companies, they, beho- they, stay, they stick to those things, particularly in those areas, but internationally, beer companies are doing everything and anything that makes sales. Mm-hmm. Now, the traveler goes on and he sees fish for sale. And he's educated enough to know the simonim, fins, scales. It, could, he, could he buy fi- fresh fish, frozen fish? Are there gedarim? Very clear gedarim. So, so the, 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 this is a question that usually comes from people that are in town, that are used to having everything with a heksher. So therefore, all of a sudden, they walk out of everything has a heksher, and one, one second, so what do I do about my fish? People out of town that don't have a fishmonger, a fish shop that, that's certified, available under uh, Ashgacha, uh, um, uh, they generally know the guidelines already. The guidelines are quite simple. The fish itself, as long as you can identify that the fish is a kosher fish, which means you see scales, physically see skin with scales, um, then the fish itself is kosher. Your only question then is, what did they cut that with? Is there any fat, is there any residue from a different type of fish that crossed over? Almost every fish store is going to have um, other fish that is not kosher fish. So shared so, equipment is a so problem. So shared equipment, but again, it's cold equipment, not hot equipment. It's very easy to deal with. So and the, the best dukka, thing, the dukka, the, dukka the sakina is an issue. So what you do is you make sure that they clean the knife. Some people are more machmer and they'll scrape away when they get home with their own knife afterwards so that it's considered shifshuf. For sure, need to wash it. It's which better. means which, so they'll take off a layer of where the Not, fish was Just cooked. scrape away where the layers to take off a kadei klipa, a small amount, and, and, and that's, even that is somewhat of a, of a chumr to a little bit. But uh, as long as the knife is clean and you do that, you're good to go. The cutting board obviously needs to be cleaned. It's good to ask them to put down a piece of, uh, piece of uh, butcher's paper, something down in order to, so that to reduce any residue from a different fish that they cut before. And if they tell me that it's a certain type of fish, they, I, I could They take tell you if he's a fish, it means absolutely nothing. The only time that a non-Jew within... So with, I need I need Tfiyazayin? You have to... I not Tfiyazayin. You need to see the skin on the fish. Oh. You need to see skin. There's a machleik is even a skin. If sometimes they take off the scales on the fish so you don't see scales anymore. You just see the space that the scale was in. Mm-hmm. Is that good enough or not? Most can say that it is. We're missing Corellas and Nebrek held that it's not good enough. But most pies can say that that is still enough of a simon because it's obvious there was a scale there. Um, and is there a difference between fresh and frozen? So frozen, anytime you de- like we said before, anytime you're dealing with a processed item, you're risking having additives, other things that are not necessarily listed on the label. Mm-hmm. So it's for sure not lechatchila. It's better to buy fresh fish. You don't have that concern. Buying frozen fish, if you don't have another choice, and that's the only thing you have available, and there's nothing else listed on the label, then, yeah, that's fine. As far as meat and shechita on the road, what guidelines could you give? So again, meat obviously has to have ashgacha and has to be, have a good ashgacha. It's a complicated item. Uh, it's a very communal-centric uh, item. It used to be that every community had its own shechita. They asked it in many communities what's called shechita chutz. Most people don't, don't even know such a thing exists. Actually, when one of the large chicken processors in the United, Stud- United States started up, I think uh, 60 or 70 years ago, they paid off shachtim in different communities not to shecht because they were essentially putting them out of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they did that to dominate the market. Uh, but it's, it's something that's highly, highly complicated. And you, you have to make sure that that shechita meets your standards. And so it's definitely something that somebody needs to research, research before, make sure that it's fine. Obviously, if you see something, it says that it's kosher on it, 
and there's two chaysamites, because meat has to have two chaysamites, it's properly sealed, then meikar then that's fine also. But uh, not recommended unless you know that it's coming from a place that's reliable. Could the traveler purchase any items without ashkacha? You know, he's traveling. Other items, you know, are there cardinal rules that you could give? Okay, you could buy this and this and this without ashkacha. So the rule of thumb, obviously, anything raw that's unprocessed, raw fruit, raw vegetables, um, leaving the bug issue out, right. those things are good to go. Everything else beyond that is going to be very geographic uh, in nature. So in so one country, nuts, dry roasted nuts, for example, in some countries are perfectly fine. There's no real concern for them to do anything else but dry roasting nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other countries, the same processing line that roasts dry no- uh, roasted nuts also does oil roasted nuts. Oil needs a hechsher. So then you mess up the whole system. Right. And then there's flavorings. In some places, they have dry roasted nuts that they'll add flavorings, they'll have gelatin, they'll have other things that can be cautious sensitive. Mm-hmm. In other countries, that's just unheard of. You, you ask the question and people are like, what, what are you talking about? It just right. doesn't exist. Um, Which is an important thing you're talking about because even if someone is knowledgeable enough to read a, a ingredient label, and they could say that everything in this, pr- in this product is kosher. We don't know the equipment it was produced on, if there was shared equipment, like you're saying, oils and the like. So and, and you don't know if there's processing aids that are used. Like one of the most common things that comes up always is you know, maple syrup. Mm-hmm. Ma- maple syrup itself might be kosher. Right. They have to use antifoam when they make it. Antifoam mm-hmm. can be trafe. Traditionally, they used to use a piece of bacon in order right. to stop the foam from flowing over. So it can end up being I remember my father once told me about release agents also. Right. They use agents to release them from, right. from the machinery, yeah. right? You can have candies that go through a candy mold. Everything right. is perfectly fine, but they put down something that's trafed in order to make it as a release to agent. Make the release agent right. to make it come off the machine right. easier. Right. Right. So people, a, don't, people don't understand why gummy bears, for example, why, why there's so, such a little amount of gummy bears that exist. Not bears, any gummy type item. Mm-hmm. The reason is very simple. All of those things are made in molds made of starch, right? They reuse that starch. So if they did a trafe run yesterday, all that starch is trafe. So it's not an easy thing to just go into such a, a company and, and kosher or change over from one thing to another. It's, mm-hmm. it's all contaminant. Like we said before, if somebody would be allergic to something there, they would never dream of touching it. Right, right. Fascinating conversation. Thank you for all your tips. Um, any let's talk kashras takeaway? Let's give a sikum to our conversation. If you could give our viewers. I, I think that the, the, the takeaway should be if somebody's going on vacation, they're going out of their comfort zone, they're going to another city that they've never been before. Do your research before. Speak to your rabbi. Find out what the kashras standards are in that town. Are there standards something that you expect? People travel from Eretz Israel, they come to America, and they're shocked at what they call Mahajan in Israel, everybody expects that Bishal Yisrael is going to be acceptable for Sephardim as well. Right. They come here and, and uh, they can't eat anything. Right? Yashan, right? So in some parts of the world, Yashan is a, a given. In other parts of the world, Yashan is like, we never heard of that. Like, we, we don't care. Right? So you have to do your own research and make sure that it meets your kasha standards. Speak to your rabbi, speak to the Ashgacha in that area. If you're walking to a restaurant, whether it's in your area or in a different area, speak to the Mashgiach, ask questions, it's the best thing. It strengthens kashras and it strengthens your own awareness. You'll find out things, some things that you didn't even know. You're traveling somewhere. Most communities in, in, in Europe, in other parts of the world, in, uh, even in the United States, in more out-of-town communities, they have lists of what items you can buy without ashgacha, whether it's sugar, 
plain tea, uh, different items. There are lists that exist that clarify which items are acceptable. It will change from one country to another. Bottom line is, be prepared, be an informed, conscientious kosher consumer. Thank you, Rabbi Krems. It was a pleasure.